Father God, you are amazing. And I love our worship team. I love how they lift up your name each and every week and and how we don't sing songs that are just about us, you know, man-centered songs, but we sing songs that make you look amazing. And so I pray tonight and I pray in this ministry week in and week out that you would be glorified and that you would be pleased with what we do. And so tonight, will you speak through me? Will you use me? Will you anoint me by the power of your spirit to speak the truths of your word? And I pray for those listening tonight. I pray for those who are here for the first time that you would open up their heart and mind to receive your word. To receive your word with joy and gladness. And Lord, as we look at Luke tonight, I pray that you would help us to have eyes to see and ears to hear the truths from your word in this amazing gospel, the gospel of Luke. And so, will you bless this time in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, guys, my my name's Tyler. Uh, If you're new here, I'm one of the young adult pastors here at Christ Chapel. And it's just a privilege to be a part of this ministry. And it's a privilege to see what's going on week in and week out in our ministry. And so... Uh, what we've been doing is going through the Gospel of Luke. We decided instead of doing a series of different topical sermons that we were going to just take one book of the Bible and walk through it. And we might not hit every verse, but we wanted to hit the key themes that we thought would, would compel us to go out into the city of Fort Worth and to accomplish Jesus' mission. And so tonight I want to dive into Luke chapter 10. And so if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 10. And if you don't have a Bible, there's Bibles in the seat right below you in front. And so you can grab one of those. And then we also have the verses up on the screen as we jump into that. So there's two types of Christians that I run into on a frequent basis um, here in the city of Fort Worth and in the ministries that I've been in. One type of of Christian is the one who uh, says that they believe in Jesus and they profess to be Christian. And if you ask them, hey, are you a, a follower of Christ? They would say, absolutely. But if you look at their life, they're, they're kind of pursuing their own interests. They're pursuing their own passions and they have their own set of goals that they want to accomplish. They, they have their own agenda in their life and they want Jesus to kind of be added on. And, and yeah, if Jesus can help me be successful and, and grow in my, in my uh, career and, and give me the dreams that I want, then, hey, give me some Jesus. And, and they, they profess that, and they profess to be a follower of Christ. But there's a second group that Jesus talks about here in chapter 10, and that's the person that's just straight up sold out for the gospel. It's not just a, a, a verbal, I believe in Jesus, but their life confirms that. And they've said, Jesus, not only are you my Savior, but you are my Lord. And if you call me to go to the ends of the earth, I'll go to the ends of the earth. If you call me to die for my faith, I'll die for my faith. I want to do what you want me to do. I want my vision for life and my goals to be your vision and goals for my life. And it's the radical call to discipleship that we've heard Ben and and Josh talk about throughout this series. Two different types of Christians that profess the name of Christian. Jesus talks at the end of chapter 9 about the first type of Christian. And as he's going from town to town, people are kind of getting caught up in all the spectacle. And he's healing people and he's preaching the gospel. And they're like, man, we want to follow you. But I I just, I got to go back home for a little while and get my business in order. I've got some things I've got to tend to. But one, one day down the road, man, I would love to follow you. And I want to be your disciple. And Jesus says, you're not fit for the kingdom. 
And he ran into a few others. You can read about it in chapter 9. I encourage you to do it. That just said, yeah, I love this idea of being a disciple, but I just need to do a few things on the side and then I'll jump on board later. But Jesus is calling us to something way more. Jesus is calling us to a missionary lifestyle. Not once a week in Belize, not once a week in Brazil for the young couples, not once a week in whatever you know, mission thing that you're a part of, but day in, day out, 24-7, Jesus is calling us to be radical disciples that live a missionary lifestyle. And so here's what I want to do tonight, and it's all in chapter 10, so go ahead and turn there if you haven't yet. But there's three things I want to look at that describe this disciple that has this lifestyle of mission and discipleship and and dying to their self and taking up the cross. And that's the first one. And I just want to walk you through these three and then we'll jump in. But they, they labor for the gospel. Okay? They labor for the gospel. And number two, they rejoice in their salvation, not in their ministry success. And then number three, they see their mission through the lens of the gospel. So if you're here tonight and you're like, you know, I have been kind of walking this fence and I have been kind of living with, with one foot in the world and one foot in the, in the church and I want to go all in, I want to describe to you what a life of all in looks like. And so let's jump in. Chapter 10, verse 1, uh, laboring for the gospel. Here's what, here's what Luke says. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others. And what he's talking about is after this, meaning a lot of things. He sent the 12 apostles out on mission and the Mount of Transfiguration where Jesus goes up on a mountain and he sees Elijah and Moses and they have this epic conversation that Peter's like, hey, let's just build some tents and y'all can live here. And Jesus is like, that's stupid. Get behind me, Satan. You know, something like that. Like, that's ridiculous. You don't know what's going on. And then he talks about feeding the, the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000. And then the, the amazing story where Jesus says, you need to take up your cross and die to yourself and follow me. And so Luke's saying, after all of these things, the Lord appoints 72 others and sends them out ahead of him. Two by two into every town and place where he himself was about to go. So this is so interesting. A lot of times we think in the early church that Jesus sent out the 12 apostles and, and that was their mission to go to the other towns. It was their mission to go ahead of Jesus. And, and there's even a report of that at the beginning of chapter 9 that the apostles went out doing similar things and came back and were like, man, this is awesome. But, but Jesus also sends out all of his other disciples. And so I think what happens in the church today is uh, those of us who are paid staff, Ben and myself and Josh and the rest of the full-time staff here at Christ Chapel, it's like, well, that's your full-time job. You know, you're the ones who go out and share the gospel and labor for the gospel, but, but we got careers and maybe we can find some time to dabble in the things of God at, at, at work if the opportunity presents itself. But really, this is a mission for you. And I think this right here in chapter 10 kind of blows that out of the water. He's calling all of his disciples to go and labor for the gospel, he says. And we don't use that term labor much. Um, and in fact, he uses it here in... in uh, in verse 2, he says, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. And this is such an amazing little section here in this chapter. But this idea of labor, we don't use very much anymore. But I have experienced it when my wife went through labor. Okay, I didn't experience it. I watched her experience it. I was sitting 
you know, on the recliner next to the bed with Cheeto fingers and watching Sports Center, and she's going through serious labor, and I'm just hanging out. But but that's labor. It's work. It's it's excruciating work. And Jesus is saying that there is a harvest out there. This isn't a small harvest. This isn't a tiny harvest that there's just a few people out there that need to hear the gospel. Jesus says the harvest is plentiful. And I want my disciples to go to the ends of the earth and I want them to be laboring to bring people into the kingdom of God to be a part of my kingdom and my community and to be saved from sin and death in this world and and to be brought into a new life. And how did he plan for that to happen? Through us. Laborers, not full-time staff, you and me. And so I've got, a, I've got a good friend of mine who lives in California, and my family went to go visit him this summer. We played baseball together for years, and uh, his name's Ben Julianell. And Ben's an amazing guy, uh, godly guy, just sold out for Jesus. He's that second category of Christian that just gets it. And so after he got out of the baseball career, he got into financial, the, the financial industry, and he's a financial advisor. And immediately when he got to his new firm, he thought, man, I've got to labor for the gospel. He didn't use those terms, but he was, he was taking initiative, and he had that on his mind, and he saw that as a responsibility. He's not a, a full-time staff person. He's out in the world with a career. And so he started a Bible study. He sent out an email to his whole um, uh, organization with tons, hundreds of people that were older than him and had more experience. He's the young new guy. He just sends out an email and says, hey, I'm going to start a Bible study on Friday mornings and I want you all to come and we're just going to look, you know, we're going to get in the word and we're going we're to understand who God is and man, I'd love for you to be there. And that's a risky thing to do as the new guy. And so he just jumped in, and so now he's doing it. We talk every Friday morning as he's going to work from the Bible study, and he's week after week telling me of the things that he's seen in that group of guys and, and how some of the guys have made these huge strides in their faith. And he's, he's seeing himself not just as a financial advisor, but as a laborer for the gospel. What would it look like in our ministry if we all bought into that idea? Imagine what it would look like in the city of Fort Worth if every single one of us started to think of ourselves as laborers for the gospel. That's a missionary lifestyle. And so there's certain ways that Jesus kind of walks this out in this passage. And so I want to show you kind of two things that you're going to run into when you buy into this lifestyle. So let's jump back into the passage. He says... Interestingly, at the end of of verse 2, he says, Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. So this this harvest is so massive that we can't do it alone. We need to be praying for more people to buy into the vision. But he continues. He says, Go your way, and behold, I'm sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. So he's sending them out into a dangerous world, a dangerous territory. And he says, Carry no money bag. This is verse 4. No knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. In the ancient Near Eastern time, if you greet someone, it's more than just, hey, what's up, dude? It's like hours. I mean, they take you into your home, and they feed you. And he's like, don't get distracted by all that. Don't get distracted by what you're going to bring. Trust in me and stay focused on getting to the town I call you to go to. And so he says, whatever house you enter, first say, peace be to this house. And this is interesting. If a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. 
and remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide. For the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick in it and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. So picture this. We're talking about small towns throughout Jerusalem. They're going out two by two. And he says, go into a town and look for a person of peace. And if you go into a home and you offer them peace and they respond with peace, then you found a good home base for your ministry. And the way I translate that today is in the workplace or in school or in your apartment complex. If you find someone that's receptive to the gospel. You know, I was talking to a girl the other day who works at Starbucks. And she had a conversation with one of her non-believing co-workers. And all of a sudden there was this receptivity to the gospel. Like there was a barrier that was broken. And, it, and, and what Luke and Jesus are saying is when you find that person, stay there. Build that relationship. Get plugged into that relationship. If you're going to labor for the gospel, you've got to find people in your current context that, that are receptive to the gospel and are ready to, to accept the gospel. Does that make sense? And so as you're going out as a lamb amongst wolves, you need to find those people that have a common mindset and that are ready to receive the gospel. Um, we, we just got through talking. Ben mentioned our afterward. This is kind of the vision behind afterward. Instead of us staying here and kind of having a little group huddle, why don't we go out into the community and go to some different places, build relationships, and see if we can find some people of peace that we can connect with. And then as we connect with those people, we start to build kind of a, a base of ministry where we can start meeting people who don't know Jesus Christ. Because I can tell you something, most of them are not going to come here. So we're going to go to them. And another great ministry that we're partnering with is called Apartment Life. I don't know if you've heard of that, but ironically, they like to send people out two by two into apartment complexes. I saw a statistic the other day that 95% of people that live in apartment complexes are not sold out Christians for Christ. It was a Lifeway research study. You can look it up. 95%. And think of the apartment complexes in a five-mile radius around our church. What if we bought into this vision that we are laborers for the gospel and we go out into those churches and partner with this ministry and into those apartments and make an impact. But here's what happens, and this always happens when you go out and you start being bold in your faith. So he goes on and he says, But whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into its streets and say, Even the dust of your town that clings to our feet we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. So when these disciples, two by two, were going to these towns, a lot of them rejected them. And so Jesus said, wipe the dust off your feet and move on and just know that judgment is coming on those towns. And he talks about that in some verses in chapter 10 that we're not going to get into. But the reality is, guys, you're, you're going to be rejected at times. You're going to be rejected and it's going to happen and it... I know a lot of you are scared to death of that. We did a survey years ago, and the number one reason that people don't share their faith is fear of what people will think of me, fear of rejection, fear of conflict. And Jesus is saying, just know you're going to have rejection. But here's the interesting thing. This is really interesting. Look with me at verse 16. He says, the one who hears you hears me. Meaning when you share the gospel the one who hears what you're saying is actually hearing me through you. 
And the one who rejects you rejects me. And the one who rejects me rejects him who sent me. And so what Jesus is saying is interesting is that you're actually going as an ambassador for me. And when you get rejected, they're not rejecting you. It's not about you. What they're rejecting is the message that you're giving. And what they're ultimately rejecting is me and the one who sent me who is God Almighty. And so for me, that kind of frees me up to say, hey, it's not about me. I'm just to be faithful and not worry about the response. And if they reject it, they're not rejecting me. They're rejecting the message that is God-given message for their life. And I can move on to the next place and not take it personal and not let it take me off the, uh, the mission field. And so secondly, so the first one is you've got to labor for the gospel. It's going to require work. And it's not just work for the full-time pastors. It's work for you guys who have careers. And some of you are working 40 and 50 and maybe even 60 hours a week. And what Jesus is clearly saying is that you are a bivocational pastor, whether you know it or not, whether you're getting paid by the church or not. God has called you as a follower of Christ to go out into the mission field and be a light in the midst of darkness and to share the good news, and it's going to require a lot of work. And I'm telling you tonight, if we really want to see Fort Worth changed and not just create a cool little gathering here, which is great, I love it, but if we want to really see Fort Worth changed in a a way that we're like, holy cow, this is way beyond us, this is a God thing, every one of you who has said, I believe in Jesus and I follow Jesus, have got to realize that it's going to take work, it's going to require you to get out of your comfort zone, and it's going to require you to be more intentional when you go into the workplace and into your apartments and into the places that you live. Does that make sense? So number two, the second thing, if you want to live a missionary lifestyle, you've got to see that rejoicing is in your salvation, not in ministry success. You've got to realize that when you're out doing ministry and you start to see success in your ministry, and this is a major temptation for pastors, but when you start seeing success, that, that you're not celebrating in the success, you're celebrating in the fact that you've been saved, that you've been plucked out of the harvest. So here's, here's what Jesus says in verse 17. So the 72 went out and they came back and they were fired up, they were excited, they were pumped, and they said this. It said that they returned just just pumped and said, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. They said, even the demons were doing what we were saying. We were, we were healing and we had authority over the evil one in these towns and, and they were celebrating that and we were excited about that. And here's what Jesus says to them. He doesn't say, man, isn't that awesome? Let's celebrate together. Let's throw a party. He says, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven, which is a weird phrase And it's hard to understand, but generally speaking, most commentators believe that that simply means that that Jesus saw Satan fall as these disciples were sharing the gospel and overcoming evil. That in that moment, Satan, like a lightning bolt, his power was being defeated in these different towns. And so he said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. And in verse 19, behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall hurt you. Another confusing little verse there. I don't think he literally means like stomping on scorpions and serpents. I was in Israel this summer and didn't see one snake or scorpion. And that's just kind of weird to me. I think what he's saying, when you think of snake in the Bible, what do you imagine? 
the, the evil one. You know, you, if, you, if you're familiar with the Bible in the Old Testament, Genesis 1, you know, Satan comes to Adam and Eve as a snake. And snake and scorpion are evil, creepy little creatures. And what he's really saying is that you have authority over evil and you can, you can tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. But he says this in verse 20. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. He said, guys, don't rejoice that you have power over the enemy. Because we see in other passages people that say, Lord, Lord, uh, don't you know me? And Jesus says, depart from me, I never knew you. But they say, but we did so many amazing miracles We did so many amazing things, and Jesus says, you never knew me. And Jesus is saying, hey, that's great. You're doing all these wonderful things, praise God. But I want you to rejoice that I have called you out of darkness and into the light. I want the thing that that compels you and motivates you to go out and labor for the gospel to be your own personal salvation and the fact that you walk with me as a son and daughter of God and you've been cleansed and redeemed and forgiven and your inheritance is awaiting you in heaven and you will have all things because you're the son of the high king. I want that to be the root of your mission and I want that to be what motivates you. One of my favorite pastors, and he had a huge influence in my life. I remember listening to one of his sermons on alcohol, and I thought it was awesome because he was so provocative and and so in your face. And he was with this kind of old congregation. I was listening to the DVD at the time, and uh, and you could tell that the audience was just not responding to his kind of radical views on alcohol. It was probably a Baptist church. And he could feel it, and he's like, man, this is a tough crowd tonight, and kind of, but he was so provocative and in your face and, and, and biblical and godly, and his name was Mark Driscoll. And I know some of you have strong opinions about Mark Driscoll, as I do, but at the moment, he was a huge influence in my life, and he was one of the most gifted pastors I've ever listened to or read. He was brilliant. And at the beginning of his ministry, you could tell he loved Jesus and it was rooted in the gospel. And and he was doing amazing things in one of the most unchurched cities in our country in Seattle. And I was thinking, man, this guy is killing it. I want to learn from him. And over time, I I started to see a change. I don't know Mark Driscoll personally, so I'm not assuming to know his heart behind it. But what it looked like changed was he began to find his joy in ministry success and not in the gospel. I think what happened with Mark was that he began to find his joy in the attendance that he was getting, in the multi-sites that he was planning, in the books that he was selling, in the bestseller lists, in the conference circuit, in all of these ministry successes that we would agree, praise God, look at all the things you're doing, but he lost his heart and his joy for Jesus. Once again, that's what it seems like from my vantage point. And I'm telling you, for me, for Ben, for Josh Story, and for the rest of our staff, we have to be vigilant that we don't start thinking in terms of, man, we, we had more people tonight. We had our highest attendance. Wow, look at what God's doing. And man, we had two people come to Christ a couple weeks ago. Look at all the things that God's doing and we're rejoicing in that. And all of a sudden we become obsessed with success in the ministry. And, and, and over years we forget that really the joy that we should have is that we're, we're sons and daughters of God. That we've been cleansed and renewed. And so Jesus is warning them. It's their first trip out. They've had this power to bring healing and restoration. And the gospel's connecting. And he's like, guys, that's great. 
but you need to rejoice that your names are written in the book of heaven. You need to rejoice that you have been saved. Let me ask you tonight, guys. Are you finding your joy in the fact that you are a son or daughter of God? Are you finding your joy in the midst of whatever circumstances and the fact that you are in Jesus Christ and all the things that he has are yours and all your baggage that you have, he's taken it and paid for it on the cross? Is that the root of your joy in your life? I'm telling you, if you want to live a missionary lifestyle... Where you're sold out and you're, you're charging hell with a water pistol and making a difference in this world. Then you better be rooted in the gospel. And not obsessing over your ministry success. And I'm not just talking to pastors here. I'm talking to those who are out in the world doing ministry as a lay person. Rooted in the gospel. Are you rooted in the gospel? Where's your joy? Man, for me... It depends on what day you ask me that. Last year was a tough year for me personally as we started this brand new ministry. It was scary. It was, there were many days where I was like, this is way over my head. I don't have the ability. I don't have the skills. This is too big for me. And I started obsessing over every little victory, you know, every little, every little thing, ministry success I would hang on to because I was finding my identity in that. And if I got an encouraging email, I was like, oh, thank you. Thank you. Good. Things are going well. And what was happening was I was becoming more and more discouraged because if that's where you find your joy and success, man, you want to talk about a roller coaster life? You want to talk about a life that is just up and down based on your circumstances? That's that kind of life. But I, as, as one of your pastors, want to get to the point to where I don't only say this to you, but I live it. That my identity is in Christ and whatever God wants to do with this ministry is great. Whatever he doesn't want to do with this ministry is great. That this ministry is not determined by how many people, but it's determined by how many people's lives are being renovated. It's not quantity, it's quality. But the only way for me to get there and the only way for you to get there in your ministry life and in your career life is to focus on your relationship with Jesus Christ as the most important thing and the most important place to find your joy. And so what a great teaching moment Jesus had with his followers there. It makes me think of a guy named Adoniram Judson. He was a famous missionary in the late, 18, um, late 18th century. Um, he was from America and he sailed to India and you know, circumstances were, were not great at the time. Sailing was a very dangerous uh, venture to go on. And he lands in India with, I'm sure, high hopes and expectations and, and a lot of fears and a lot of the things that I felt last year. And he begins to try to uh, do ministry in a very hostile, difficult place in India with a bunch of people that were adamantly opposed to Christianity and very violently opposed to Christianity and his life was in danger at numerous times and he lost family members. And for seven years, he didn't see one convert. Let's think about that. For seven years, this guy didn't see one convert. But I read his biography. It's called To the Golden Shore. And I would recommend it to you. It is just powerful. But to see this man's faithfulness. And to see the fact that the only way he could have persevered through those seven years is that his identity was in Jesus Christ 
and he was finding his joy in the fact that his name was written in the book of life and that however hard this life was, he had an eternal life waiting for him that was way better and that sustained him in difficult times. And that will sustain you in difficult times. And I see a lot of faces in here that are going through extremely difficult times. Find your joy in Jesus Christ. And if you want to really live a radical missionary lifestyle, you better find your joy in Jesus Christ or you're going you're to burn out of ministry really too soon. Okay, so the final thing. We talked about laboring prayerfully for the gospel because there's this giant, massive harvest out there with all these people that God is wanting to pluck out of the darkness and bring into the light, but he's chosen to use these broken sinners like you and me to do it. So labor, it's going to take work. And then he talks about it's about you better be rooted in in your identity in Christ and find your joy there and not in the ministry success that you do. And finally, and I want to close with this, the disciple who's living a missionary lifestyle sees the mission through the lens of the gospel. And guys, this is... This is powerful stuff. It's in verse 21. The lens of the gospel. He says, in that same hour, he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit. That's Jesus. And he said this. He said, I thank you, Father. Interesting. Jesus, the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, was praying to God and thanking God through the power of the Holy Spirit and praying to his Father and that's a very Trinitarian passage that, um, that, that I thought was amazing. I know some of you don't have any idea what I'm talking about there. But, but it's a, a very substantive passage just in the explanation in verse 21. But he says, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things. What are these things that he's talking about? He's talking about the good news that the kingdom of God has come in Jesus Christ and salvation is here. The promised Messiah has come. Now's the time. But he's hidden these things from who? Are we up on there? Who has he hidden these things from? I want to hear you say it. The wise and understanding. So the Father has hidden the good news of the gospel and that this... This kingdom has come from the wise and understanding and revealed them to who? To little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. What in the world is he talking about there? Revealing these things to little children and keeping these things from the wise and understanding. If you don't look at your, your, uh, your discipleship, your life of discipleship through that lens... You're going to get really confused as you go out into the world. God has blinded the good news of the gospel from those who are wise and understanding is what he said. But think of the context. He's dealing with the wise and understanding of that culture are the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the high priests. They're the intellectual elite. They're the religious elite. They're the ones who on the outside look very moral and and very holy and godly. But on the inside, their hearts are far from God and they have no understanding of grace and need of mercy and need of a savior and what jesus is saying is that the father has hidden this good news from them and he's given it to the little children such an interesting way of saying that but what he's essentially getting at is that god has brought this message not to the ones who think they have it all together not to the ones who are proud of their morality proud of their outward behavior and think 
look down on people who aren't where they are morally. And he's revealed it to people who are broken and hurting. And at the end of the rope, God has chosen to reveal it to the people who are on the outskirts of society. The people who are not the ones who have it all together. The people who are absolutely desperate and in need of a savior. Those are the people that God is sending us out into the world to preach the gospel to. Because they are ready to hear it and respond. You cannot respond to the gospel in pride. It just can't happen. It's the repentant. It's the broken. And I love the passage in 1 Samuel 16. You don't have to turn there. But it's about the choosing of David. David, King David, uh, was, was chosen to be the king after King Saul who didn't pan out well. And so Samuel was told by God to find this new king. It was, it was going to come from the house of Jesse. And so in 1 Samuel 16, you can look it up. He goes to the house of Jesse and he's like, hey, I want to see your, your sons. And so Jesse brings out all of his sons except for one, David. And so Samuel looks at one of his sons and he goes, oh man, this has got to be the future king. He's, he's good looking, he's big, he's strong, he's the oldest he looks like a man's man. This is the guy that's going to be the next king. And so God says, no, that's not him. That's not him. So he goes to the next guy. And Jesse's like, what about this son? This is, my, this is one of my best. He's a, he's a man of valor and he's a strong man. And so finally Samuel goes through all these guys and he's like, hey, are you missing one of your sons? Because I'm not feeling good about this. And Jesse's like, yeah, I, I've, my youngest son, David, he's a shepherd. He's like 16. We, he's out tending the sheep. You know, you, you're not interested in him. And Samuel's like, bring him in. And so he brings David in. And this is amazing. Let me, let me track it down here. So it says, And Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. This is in verse 10. And say, you don't have to turn here. And Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen these. Then Samuel said to Jesse, oh, Are all your sons here? And he says, there remains yet the youngest, but behold, he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, send and get him, for we will not sit down till he comes here. And he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. And the Lord said, arise, anoint him, for this is he. And listen to this. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. But the point of this passage is, and it says it, some, I, I thought it said it right there, but it must be later on, that God doesn't look at the outward features of someone, that God looks at the heart. And so as we're on mission and we're going out and we're sharing the gospel, don't get hung up on the outward appearance and the outward morality. Look for the people that are receptive in the heart. Look for the people that are broken Look for the people that are needy and are desperate for the gospel. And those are the people that you want to share the gospel with. And then finally, he says, all things, this is in verse 22, back in Luke chapter 10, all things have been handed over to me by my father. And no one knows who the son is except the father or who the father is except the son and anyone to whom the son chooses to reveal him. And so once again, the picture of this massive harvest of all nations all over the world, that God is sending out laborers, not just full-time pastors, but, but all of us who say that we're followers of Christ. And he's calling us out to share the gospel, especially with the broken and needy, the simple, 
Not the elite, the moral, the, the outward religious, but the, the, the broken. And he says to look for those who are desperate for that and not look at the outward appearance. And so to conclude, the disciple who's living a missionary lifestyle is the one who labors for the gospel. Rejoices in their salvation, not in their success, and who sees their mission through the lens of the gospel. Because the gospel turns the world upside down. So could someone look at your life today and clearly see that you have a missionary lifestyle? I don't care what your occupation is. I don't care if you're a student or a nurse or a teacher or you're in between jobs or um, however many hours you work. Could someone look at your lifestyle and say, this is a person that is on mission. This is a person that is sold out for the cause of Christ. And I want to close by just saying again, imagine what would happen if we all developed that missionary lifestyle. Imagine what would happen if this room developed a missionary mindset and a missionary lifestyle. What would happen to the city of Fort Worth? What would happen to the workplace that you currently work in? With those people that you work with that you go by every day and you know they don't know Jesus, but you haven't taken the time and effort to just break through that initial barrier and start sharing your faith with them. What would happen? I mean, what would happen on the TCU campus if our students here in our ministry began to see this, this calling that God has called us to, to be radical for the, for the mission and to be radical in our lifestyle? My prayer and my hope for this ministry is that we become a people, not that fit into that first category of, yeah, I love Jesus and he's going to help me accomplish my dreams and my pursuits, but we become that second group of Christians that say, I'm all in. I'm ready to take up my cross and die for you, Lord Jesus, and wherever you want me to go, I'm going to labor for you, I'm going to work for you in your cause, and I'm going to rejoice that I am in you and that I've been saved by you. And I'm going to see all that I do through the lens of the gospel, the free grace that is offered to us through faith in Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Father God, I thank you that you use broken people like myself to not only preach your word, um, uh, not only work in the church, but you've called individuals, a lot of individuals in this, in this room that are not all together. And are not, haven't gotten it all figured out. You're calling them out onto the mission field. You're calling some to the mission field that's at the ends of the earth. But you're calling some to the mission field that's downtown Fort Worth. You're calling some to the mission field that's Cook Children's Hospital. You're calling some to the mission field that's our public school systems. You're calling some to the mission field that is the TCU campus, which is, you want to talk about a fertile field where the harvest is plentiful. It's right there at our fingertips. Lord, may we be a people that believes that that's the better way. That that's way better than the first option, which is, Jesus, you're just a, you're just a tag on to our life. To help us get over the hump that we can live the American dream the way we envision it. That's not what I, I don't want that for our people. I don't want that for this ministry. I don't want us to obsess over numbers and, and the glitz and the glamour of ministry today. I want us to obsess over seeing people come to faith in Jesus Christ.
I want us to obsess over bringing the gospel to the misfits and the sinners and the tax collectors and the the broken and the homeless and the, the people that you would think there's no way this person would be receptive. Lord, you can do anything and you're sovereign and you're the one who chooses. We're just your vessels. Lord, may your spirit start a movement with us beginning with me and beginning with Ben and beginning with Josh beginning with the rest of our team that we don't get complacent but that we go all in on the mission that you have for the city of Fort Worth. And I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.